I've enjoyed this opportunity to practice together with everyone. I find Dharma practice is medicine. It's life-giving medicine. been touched by everyone's efforts. And it's natural as we're reflecting that uh, tomorrow is our last full day of practice together on this retreat. It's natural that you uh, might be pondering the daily life a home circumstance uh, that uh, you'll be going back to, pondering what is useful. How can what we've done here make a difference? How can it apply to to my ordinary life. I encourage us not to just (coughs) make the life that we're going back to just something that's just out there. I think it's uh, fine to allow an image, a thought, a reflection around our where we live, our families, or the beings that we're with, that we share space with. That we're associated with some of the circumstances of our life, to allow those images, those thoughts to appear, realizing that they're appearing within this heart, within this awareness, within this sphere of listening, within this matrix of experience, to bless, bless those thoughts, those images, those with with the Bhagavad, the blessed one. Who's the blessed one? The one that's listening, the one that knows, the ones that can be in contact right here and now with the nature of sound, of feeling, of form, of impulse, of thought. People, Ajahn Chah used to enjoy laughing and telling the story of, uh, you know, lay people that would come to him. Oh, Lumpal. Lumpal means, is our affectionate way we used to call our teacher. It means venerable father. Oh, Lumpal. I would like to practice, but I'm just too busy. Just, there's too much to do. Just too much to do. And he would sort of grunt, nah. He would say, too much to do? You don't have time to breathe? Do we have time to breathe? <gasps> well, yeah, I have time to breathe. Well, then you have time to practice. Sometimes we think, oh, this is so <coughs> specialized. Yes, there are certain aspects of this that's specialized that's artificial, that's constructed. Just as you could construct a little shelter for a plant, help it be protected from more inclement weather for a time to get proper nourishment, maybe get its roots a little more established. 
we've set up the silence and the structures and the skillful means and the practices and the interviews. Yes, it's, it's set up. But what we've been doing to me in a way is so natural and so transportable if we recognize the nature of the medicine, the nature of the blessing. To review what, what have we what have we been doing? We've been cultivating primary relationship. With, 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 our, with body, which is for the rest of our life will be in one form or another with us. Might be heavier or lighter or more stressed out or less stressed out or more painful or less painful, but the body. Be standing, walking, sitting, lying down, moving, We've been, we've been practicing what is the effect of remembering instead of dismembering, remembering. That's a, a joining together, remember. To connect, in this case with the body, to the ground of listening. Remembering the, the body where its ground is, its true ground that background, that inner ground, that heart ground is the, is the listening, remembering to question, where am I now? Sometimes rather than thinking that, oh gosh, I... It's not really useful unless I can be mindful for a week or a week, a month. Even if we can, uh, from time to time, be mindful as we just walk across the room. But what should I say to this person? What should I say to that person? I'm not really sure. We can say, I don't know. But feeling one step, feeling that impression, the heart Noticing the impression, then that the impression release the other step. Release, release, in touch with arising, ceasing, arising, ceasing. I don't know where it is in the text, but I've, I've, I've heard it's in there. Sometimes we can worry, oh gosh, how am I going to, Tanisha laid out all these troubles, and there are, they're big, well, how, how can we do it? It's too much. Somewhere in the text it says if there's a cow stuck in the mud, Now, we could get out there and plunge into the mud. Sometimes that's the case, and at least, you know, keep the cow company. (laughs) We're all in here together. But somewhere I've heard the Buddha said, if you get a solid perch, get a solid perch, you're established on ground on how it is. Then from that position, one can lend a hand. It can help. We don't have to save everyone at one time. We don't drink the whole ocean in one gulp. We don't save all living beings at one time. We can 
one being at a time. Maybe it's a little insect that's been trapped somewhere. And when, when we're not so in a hurry to get on to more important things, we can notice, listen in, in touch with the reality, and then make a difference. Even the stepping across the room when we don't really know what we're going to say to this person, we're not really sure how how am I going to work that out. The solid perch of knowing it's like this now. One step, one breath. We're aligning ourselves with an actuality, with a suchness. An impression that's there and gone, that's sharpening, brightening, the heart, that which listens, that which knows how it is. It's from that place of being in touch with how it actually is that we then can respond. Can we cross over the living beings, save the living beings that are on our doorstep? Like, for example, some of the restlessnesses Exhaustions, frazzledness, resentments. Perhaps we have a a feeling of how just this first simple practice of steadying, establishing, letting the waves of the restlessness come up and noticing that if we're patient and we're kind, we can allow them to manifest, not have to, follow them, even though they're hungry ghosts that are grabbing at us to go here, go there. We can bless them, touch them with kindliness. Let them come, let them go. Get the feeling of allowing that being to be crossed over, released from the dungeon of unconsciousness. And transformed back into a smoother, more composed nervous system. In a world that's, as Tanisha was pointing out, uh, that is just obsessed with more, 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 more. Bigger, better, faster, fancier. Super duper duper. Let's not underestimate the value of each of us in moments. Learning to have moments of contentment. Savoring the beauty of standing, appreciating the blessing of breathing in a lifetime, little by little by little by little, learning to experience the fullness and refreshment of seeing the green, hearing sounds come and go, feeling the heart composed, even just in moments. Just don't underestimate the value, even in little ways, if we kind of convo- uh, cultivate that, where we don't need to grab and fight for so much stuff, where we can learn to, to appreciate simplicity. And we've also been reflecting this week of what happens if we not only do that in simple ways, 
but also take some of this uh, power to be present to look into our experience, what we call wisdom. Noticing what happens when we start to reflect that everything, every sound, every breath, every day, every mood, every impulse, every fearful moment, every excited moment, manifesting, shifting and dissolving. Manifesting, shifting and dissolving. Had the opportunity in our wisdom practice to at least get a hint for the impermanence that we might, language might be telling us there's this and that, but when we actually go closer, just as if we were to walk up to a waterfall, we have a waterfall on our land, it's beautiful. Pure water. Get permission for me to come see our waterfall. It's blessed water from a holy mountain. Don't just go up there on your own. Get permission because it's our waterfall. (laughs) Our special waterfall. As you get closer, the roar, the awesomeness, our waterfall, try grabbing it. Take it away. This dharma, this nature, this reality cannot be described. Words fall silent before it. Just like the waterfall, me, you, him, her, our experience is cascading. Sensations, thoughts, impulses, Happinesses, distresses, sadnesses. When we get the hint for that, we realize that that part of us that wants to find security and success and praise and that it's just a recipe for suffering. As, as Ajahn Chah said, looking for certainty in that which is not certain. So in a moment, just even moments, little by little, of recognizing that changing nature, then, then an important thing will happen, a, a weariness, a disenchantment, a recognition that we're looking in the wrong place. We don't have to trash it all, but there'll be a, a, a relinquishment, a fading of something as the, as the heart starts to recognize where where our home is, start turning, we'll, we'll realize I'm not the thing. Letting go, getting a feeling for the spaciousness that all this phenomenon is happening within. So wisdom says I'm not nothing, not a thing. All this insight encourages us to, we steady ourselves, but as we steady ourselves and see things are changing, then we let be, let go and recognize what's always been here that we've never noticed, perhaps. Spaciousness. Now, there can be, what can happen is because it's peaceful and we get a taste for it and we associate the suffering with all the contact, you know, we can go the other way. It's still important experiencing that peace of, of letting go. But as Tanisra was, was reminding us, we then can, you know, continue to set up a dichotomy of the world out there is, is all the suffering bits. And if we're not careful, our meditation becomes more and more one of just keeping things at bay. 
we might find ourselves uh, writing notes to the managers of uh, Guy House. Couldn't we, in improvements in the future, have little solitary sensory deprivation chambers? I mean, we could each, each, you know, have our little tanks, and and then someone could uh, Ramiro could go around to. Adjusting, we could do the little finger up for the temperature a little higher, <laughs> and the little finger down, temperature a little lower, and then, then uh, two taps with the finger is, a, is an itch. And, and remember, we'd have to get a little thing in there. And, uh, and then we would really get peaceful, not have no more snoring, because they'd be soundproof. And... We once had, this is a joke, the person who said it didn't think it was a joke, but it was a joke. There was once uh, somebody having Nibbonic states, and uh, Ajahn Chah was uh, visiting the center at the time, and they didn't want Ajahn Chah to visit because he would disturb the Nibbonic state. <laughs> And just almost hear Ajahn Chah. Wrong view. <laughs> you know, okay, we, we, we practice letting go, but then if, we, if an aversion kind of creeps in, we just want to keep going to letting go. That's when we need to, to practice embracing. Embracing. This heart can steady. It can inquire, it can let be and notice the spacious emptiness, but within that emptiness is form, and we can also embrace. That's the kindness practice. Wisdom says, I'm not a thing. Compassion says, I'm everything. Steadying, letting go, embracing. All these practices help us balance, come back to balance. But again, if we, if we, if our contemplation is gets gets trapped, we can, you know, hear the. I mean, once Ajahn Chah said, "If you let go a little, you experience a little peace. If you let go a lot, you experience a lot of peace. If you let go completely, you experience complete peace." Well, that's clear. Let go. That's the practice. Let go. <laughs> but when let go is, is like with the hand only knows how to let go, that's called paralysis. And that's what, but if it only knows how to grip, that's also called a kind of paralysis. It's, 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 it's balance. And, you know, so sometimes it's really appropriate in a, in a world where we're so glued to conditions, glued to thoughts and worries as me. My devastation, my success, my difficult problem. Then the teaching around not-self is useful. It's appropriate to that. It's appropriate to seeing change and to then letting go. But when aversion, aversion comes in, then it's important to embrace, to welcome. Ajahn Chah tells the story of, you know, disciples are getting to the, to the left of the path, he's walking behind and he says, go left. Getting to the left of the path, he says, go right. So the diligent disciples right, master says, go right. But if they get too far to the right and they're getting near the ditch and danger, they go left. Again, diligent disciples say go left. And we can argue. He said go left. He said go right. No, you're wrong. It's, it's balancing. Letting go balances. When we're stuck on conditions, not self. It's a helpful reflection. It's not what we thought it was. We let go. When we're pushing things too far away, we welcome. The two practices, kindness and compassion, sound different, but they're part of one heart.
as we develop skill. Both of these skills are very important. Each one of them, the Buddha said, even a finger snap. He said the same thing about each one. Remember the other day I I quoted the Buddha when he said a finger snap of recognition of impermanence is immensely auspicious and powerful in helping dissolve our obstructions. Similarly, even a finger snap of contemplation of kindness, loving kindness, just the same. Why? Because each one overcomes this contraction, this confused, alienated, misguided contraction, which is the sense of self that just possesses and thinks, this is me, this is mine. It's cut off. Kindness includes, widens, embraces. That leads to the measureless, leads us home again. Similarly, impermanence, seeing the shifting, coming and going of what we've taken to me, helps us recognize the spaciousness within which we've identified with something. All the skillful means, many of the, I think all of them, are moving from the limited, the contracted, to the spacious, to the measureless. There's an uh, image, the simile that the Buddha used when he was talking about our obstructions and talking about karma, many of us are experiencing the results of karma. That's what we do when we sit here for these four or five days. We, we, we have eyeball to eyeball, as one of our monastic friends, Ajahn Sajito, would say, we're eyeball to eyeball with our karma, with the tendencies we've generated of Liking and not liking and identifying with that and recoiling from that. Eyeball to eyeball with our karma. When the Buddha was talking about uh, the nature of karma, he he used an image of of a salt crystal or a lump of salt, a large crystal. He said if you had a large crystal salt crystal, not just a tiny little crystal, and put it in a small amount of water so that it dissolved. He was asking his disciples, would you be able to drink it? No, they said, it's, it's too salty. It's, you can't cope with it. But that very same amount of salt, that same amount of, same big salt crystal, it was put into a fresh flowing river. He said, could you drink that? And they said, well, you wouldn't even taste it. You'd hardly taste it. Dissolved. Through that image, he was helping us understand that our karma is not fixed, that we can dissolve obstructions. He used the example of if if two people did the same trifling, unwholesome deed, something small. Why is it that one, the results of that, take them into a very difficult place? Whereas for another, the same, just little thing. They feel it for a moment. They feel the unskillfulness of it for a moment. But it appears and then disappears quickly. He said, the person that, uh, that, that gets doing something really slight, but then it takes them into a very difficult place, they've been cultivating with a limited state of mind, not developing body, not developing virtue, not developing wisdom, going around small-hearted, like that small cup of water with a lump of salt in it, then it... You can't drink it. Sometimes we find ourselves 
in a contracted state, and then then something comes in and just carries us to hell. Carries us to a very, very difficult place. But I hope we have had a feeling on this retreat of how some of those states can be dissolved when there's perspective in contemplating body, developing, being present with a step, with a breath, with composure. We've had contemplating wisdom. We've had the opportunity not to just get contracted around a mood, a worry, a bad memory, an unskillful emotion. Had the opportunity to touch it with noticing touch it with awareness, opportunity to see it change. All of these practices we've been doing take contracted states of mind and turn them more measureless. Mindfulness does the same thing, takes a state and puts it in the sphere of measureless awareness. Wisdom does the same thing. Kindness, practicing, allowing our heart from worrying about me and whether I'm getting something just noticing what happens if we have the thought, may I be at ease, may those around me be at ease. We're all brothers and sisters sharing this experience of suffering and wanting to know about the end of suffering. Notice what happens if our attention includes the shape of the beings in the room and, and allows that to be welcomed Welcome who's on my right. Welcome who's on my left. Allow our abiding to include. Notice what happens when we do that. When the heart is wider, more inclusive, then when the results of of karmas come, it's easier not to be so drug away, knocked over by them. The Buddha said if if however you created a karma, that's how you have to experience the result. Like if you kick someone, then you have to be kicked. That's just the way it is. That eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth thing. He said if that's the way it was, he said there'd be no end. We'd never get out. We'd just never finish. But he said the way that you make karma to be experienced, when we do an action or a speech or a thought that, that causes pain through greed, hatred, or delusion, then yes, there has to be some painful result. But it's room for all sorts of flexibility. It can really be dissolved quite a lot. And so as we're practicing letting go into spaciousness, as we're practicing embracing into spaciousness, as we practice Virtue, as we did on the first night, that again is taking our toxicity, taking our patterns, our resentments, our our greed, our, our aversions, our fears, taking that and and plunging it into a wider web of wholesomeness. Like, for example, as we said on the first evening, when we commit ourselves to not harming, that's an important principle to me. I'm undertaking the training not to intentionally harm, not to intentionally take life if I can. The Buddha called that a great gift because on some level every, little, every living being can breathe more easefully when we have that commitment. 
The same with all the, all the precepts. It's the same with the principle of generosity, which we haven't talked about. Dana, which is something we can bring with us as we go back home. Notice what it's like when you're trying to get more peaceful. Notice what it's like when you're trying to have insights, trying to get insights, trying to keep insights. Notice what happens if we, if we just offer ourselves to the practice. What happens if we have the thought, may others share in the blessing of this. Notice happens when we make a, a gift. Notice what that does. When we go home sometimes, just notice if in your work you're trying to get something or if one can look at one's work as my gift. This is my offering to support my family. This is my offering to in whatever craft or work that we do. This is what I'm offering to beings. When we make an offering like that, then that takes our stuff and plunges it into a wider body of wholesomeness. That is if the offer, what we're making is, uh, offering is not hurtful. For example, an image I have in my mind of how this works, this salt crystal principle. Many of you have heard this story before, but when I was in my really sick years in the monastery, I lived up in the attic of Chithurst uh, House, lying down for most of the time. So I'd, getting over typhoid and had an internal uh, bleeding disorder for a while and inflammation and stuff like that. And uh, there was one guy visiting the monastery who had a lot of problems and he had been in prison for a while for, I think, attempted rape and some other stuff. I think I got a glimpse of him a couple of times. But I was up in the attic and, you know, I did have to get up from time to time to try to go to the toilet or try to brush my teeth, which was a major operation. But I just happened to glance out, glance out the attic window. It was rainy, wintry, misty day. I could see the drive of Chithurst Drive of the monastery. And I saw this. It was pretty dark and there was nobody out there, but I saw one guy going down the road with a rope. I just knew, oh goodness, this guy's going to kill himself. And I wasn't feeling great at that time. I was really weak, but I just I thought, well, I have to do something. So I made my way down the stairs, didn't even have a chance to dress properly, just had a in robe, and I uh, tried to follow this person, and he had gone about out the drive. I was quite a bit behind him, but I could see him through the mist where he was, and he had gone to maybe a bit of forest about half a mile away. And I, I when I finally uh, got there, he was uh, tying his rope to a tree, and was going to hang himself. So then he, then he saw me and was a bit upset that I was uh, interfering with his uh, plan. And uh, it was freezing. And I didn't even realize it, but my teeth were chattering. Because I was just, it was freezing. But I was, you know, trying to talk to him. And at some point, he just, because he was in a state that was like a vortex, a contracted, limited, separate state, and he decided the only way out was just to end it. And at some point, he noticed my teeth chattering. And he said, your teeth are chattering. And he, uh, and just without even thinking about it, he took off his leather jacket. It was one of these motorcycle jackets. He took off his leather jacket and just gave it to me. 
put it around me. It's a gift. Just went like that. Didn't even think about it. And in that instant, his whole state flipped. Not forever, but it flipped. Because suddenly he made contact. And so when you make a gift, you then connect to the other's energy field. You have this wider energy field. So then I hugged him. It was like hugging a porcupine. His, it's not funny. His, it is funny, but it isn't funny. His energy system was like thousands of needles. Burning needles. Making gifts of our time. Making gifts of our practice. Making gifts of our work. Sharing food. Sharing our resources. Salt crystal principle. Compassion works the same way. The Buddha said it's that which softens the heart. We're going to run into difficult, we already are, difficult patterns in ourselves, in our loved ones, in the world. That the willingness, you know, sometimes we just want it to shift, want it to change. But, you know, kindness is allowing, not fighting. It's not pretending to like everything. It's allowing, letting the heart be with. The archetypal example for me in my life so far of the, the power of this is uh, another incident that happened when I was a monk. Many of you have heard this story many times, but I was a Buddhist chaplain. Invited to be with prisoners who wanted to learn about meditation. I usually went to Exeter Prison when I was the abbot of a small monastery in uh, Devon, or I went to... Laverne Prison off the coast of, I can't remember that name of that city. But then uh, once I went down to Dartmoor, which at that time was a fairly high security, I think, and the prisoners hadn't been allowed to meet in groups, but on this particular occasion, because it was the Buddha's birthday, the full moon of May, and these prisoners had expressed an interest, and the country was starting to realize it's not fair to that one needed to be fair to the different people interested in other religions. So for whatever reason, this group was allowed to meet. I got in through the security, these gray walls and barbed wire and thick doors and went through all the guards and got to a kind of dingy little room and there was a circle of prisoners in there. So... Got to start somewhere, so we started talking a bit and uh, trying to introduce ourselves uh, to each other. But then while we were doing it, the guards started making fun of me because I was in shaved head in a robe and they thought I was Hare Krishna. So they were going, Hey, Harry, Harry, how's Harry? Where's Larry? And stuff like that. And um, I thought, well, maybe we could meditate. And uh, I said, well, let's practice uh, kindness meditation. And the guy next to me, he quipped immediately, I don't have any kindness. If I had the chance again, I'd break his neck. Or I'd break his neck again if I had the chance. And so I'm thinking, oh, wow, this isn't going so well. (laughs) (laughs) 
but being a good practitioner, I decided to persevere. And, and I said, well, no. And his name was Arthur. He was in for murder. He had killed somebody that he had found uh, uh, sleeping with his wife. And I said, uh, well, you don't have to pretend that you have uh, compassion. We don't have to pretend anything. We don't have to pretend to like those guys making fun of us out there, the guards. So we can practice that the essence of this metta or kindliness is allowing and not fighting it. We can just allow those sounds, give them space, not fight them. Your conviction that you don't have any kindness, that you break his neck again if you had the chance. Just be with that. Be with how our bodies are. Be with all our reactions to this. But keep allowing. Keep welcoming. The dingy room, the place, the, the mocking tones. We did that. It was so beautiful. Uh, it was what I call a meltdown. Arthur started crying. And then we all just kept including his crying, the mocking, the walls. And our hearts got very big, very spacious. And so for those moments, we weren't in prison. We were, we were free. All of us have areas where we get really stuck, get obstructed. And each of us can just uh, think from what we've uh, done in this, whether the sitting, the walking, the meditations, the recitations, the bowing, the devotions, what might be helpful. It's a real opportunity for our creativity to well up out of our out of our inner listening as we touch back into the circumstances of our lives, the faces, the people, the patterns that get evoked in ourselves, and then in touch with that to consider what what will be helpful here, to actually ask the question and then listen in. Doesn't have to necessarily be in a book. This universe is responsive. This heart, we can ask a question. The nature of this heart is it responds. When the heart's listening and open and empty enough to respond, can consider. Prayerfulness can, for, for some of us, that might be helpful. Certainly in my life, it's really, really, really helpful. The one who listens to the sounds of the world. Someone can say, well, God, is that real? I'm not really sure that's real. Mm, I don't know. Well, it's like the disciple that was uh, attached to the Buddha, just attached, looking at the Buddha's beautiful form, which is fine, beautiful voice, loved the Buddha. Got so attached to the Buddha that the Buddha sent him to a branch monastery or something like that. I'm not sure exactly where this appears. And then the person's lamenting, oh, I've been separated from the Buddha, separated from the Buddha. Sent away from the Buddha, got really depressed. 
And then the Buddha appeared to him and said, what's the problem? And he said, well, you sent me away. And the Buddha points to his body and says, you, th- you think this is the Buddha? This is not the real Buddha. This body arises and then dies. When you see the Dharma, you see the Buddha. When you see the truth. Even when the Buddha is here in the world, yes, you can ask a question, get a response, but that's not the real Buddha, the real responsiveness, the real mystery, the real blessings at the heart of consciousness right here because it listens, it inquires, it knows, it responds. At the core is that which is wise and compassionate. And the Buddha taught that to call on the wise and compassionate one is really skillful, that there's a response. Certainly in my life, it's been a very, very powerful response, very helpful. And that sometimes in our private moments, you might explore when you're really suffering, really confused, really tormented with this tendency that just keeps tripping us up, this greed, this lust, this aversion, this confusion, this terror, this whatever, to speak it into the silence. Hear that voice, feel that in us, which is so, it's too difficult, don't really know what to do, can call for what to do, what can help the compassionate one help and listen in to the silence at the very least what's happening is when we allow that voice of our suffering of our longing for help for understanding and when we're sincere at the very least that part of us will be blessed and touched by listening because we're awake we're listening And if we can learn to listen into the silence, there is a response. might not be the one we're looking for. But to just listen in and feel the response. I started uh, chanting the great compassion mantra just because I was so, so sick and I'd heard that Kuan Yin helps with illnesses, so I just didn't know anything much about the teachings of Kuan Yin. But 30 years ago, I, I started practicing, and little by little, over the years, I realized it's a profound Dharma door. And uh, whether it's through Kuan Yin or through another saint or sage, I encourage uh, the possibility of looking at speaking, the prayerful speaking into the mystery in our private moments and listening into the response. Tomorrow we'll be offering a ceremony um, for those who wish, tomorrow night, around Kuan Yin, around the Great Compassion Mantra, around this principle of the salt crystal, of taking our obstruction, taking our honest recognition of our limitations, of what we struggle with, and offering that through bowing, through honoring the measureless wise ones in all directions. and to contemplate, uh, reflecting back in our lives, uh, all that we've ever done to harm ourselves or harm another, and to, rather than just to make a concretize some sense of us being a bad person, but to allow ourselves to feel, feel the pain of, of whatever we've done to it's unskillful to hurt ourselves or hurt someone else, to actually feel that, so that that can encourage us to, to recognize, ah, to, to want to move in the direction that we feel is 
skillful. So we turn all that we've ever done into a blessing, turn it into a, a commitment to making amends, commitment to learning from that. That's the skillful remorse rather than guilt that just turns us into a bad me. It's a skillful remorse that we learn from to go into a good direction. So this evening I don't have any uh, snappy solutions. But I uh, encouragement to be kind, to reflect on what is helpful, and to use an opportunity to make a commitment to, if there is a realization that it's helpful for us to commit ourselves to this way of deepening in whatever forms are most useful to us, then that, then that commitment can help us, when we return to life, help us find a way to transplant or to deepen some of what we find is skillful in our daily life. And even though, uh, you know, at times we get uh, really overwhelmed uh, just to to remember that the uh, Buddha's prophecy is that you know the fact that all of us have just even made these gestures to to align ourselves with the truth sets in motion an inexorable and an inexorable karmic momentum that we're we're destined destined for awakening that is our uh, because it's our nature, you know. So to 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 be patient and to be kind. So that's about all I have for this evening. Okay. May the blessings of our day be shared above, below, and all around. As we relax, don't try to keep it anything, but just see what it's like if we just share any goodness from our moments of patience, moments of kindness, moments of recognition of change. Moments of honesty. May these quiet but abundant blessings be shared for the welfare of all beings.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.